there's an idiomatic phrase I use. And hi, I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm glad you're here. Sorry about that. There's an idiomatic phrase I use that people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Uh, I learned that a long time ago. People, they forget what they know. They forget what they know. Or they live with debilitating insecurities that make them doubt what they know. Even though they know something, they doubt they know it because of the debilitating, that's an easy word to say, insecurities they have. I heard an old couple got into an argument once, and the old man said to the old woman, I told you I loved you when I married you. If I changed my mind, I'll let you know. Well, all of that created was more insecurity with the wife. You know, guys just saying 10 times a day, you need to tell her you love her and hug her because you need to create security. That's one of the things you do is creating security. Well, that's that's a that's a kind of a, a sidebar. When it comes to God, we can live with that same level of insecurity. We can become debilitated because we are filled with doubt and discouragement. We need to be reminded of God and more than we need to be instructed. Now, that doesn't like say we don't need to be instructed. We do. Theological understanding, knowledge of Scripture, reading of Scripture, being immersed in Scripture, uh, the knowing God from the intellectual standpoint makes the knowing God from the heart standpoint even stronger. But you need to be reminded. See, one of Satan's favorite tools is to do this, to use doubt and discouragement to keep you kind of sidelined and, and to make you think that God loves everyone but you. And he wants you to be convinced that God no longer loves you because you can't remember what you're supposed to do and you become debilitated. There's that word again. I kind of like that word today. That that you just you become ineffective. Now, Paul, he says regarding this, he talks about protection. And then the uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the armor of God. And a part of that armor of God is the helmet of salvation. He says, put on the helmet of salvation because knowing that you're saved, being reminded that you're saved, protects your head from doubt and discouragement. Satan uses a broadsword, one side labeled doubt, the other side labeled discouragement, and he whacks you in the head with it. When you put on the helmet of salvation, you protect your head from those blows that Satan wants to use against you. You need to be reminded that you belong to God. Now, Abraham is like us. Abraham is like us. Did you hear what I said? Abraham is not some superstar of spirituality. He's like us, and he's struggling now with doubt, and he's struggling with discouragement. His wife is still mad at him about Hagar. His wife is still mad about him, at him about Egypt, and he's struggling with this doubt. God has said, you're going to be a father. He's now 99 years old, and Sarah is 90, and he's going like, what the heck? Ishmael, the wife, the son he had with, with Hagar, is now 13. And so he, he's, and God has been silent for all this period of time. God has not really spoken to Abraham. 25 years. So now God comes back on the scene and he reminds Abraham and then he renames Abraham. He changes his name from Abram, which means the father of a few, uh, our great father, to Abraham, the father of a nation father of many, father of many. So there's a truth I must remember, and I want to remind you of this, that when God is silent, there's one or two things that are hard to consider. I've sinned, and I need to confess and clean up before God, or God is about to reveal himself to me in a new way. Now, what we found in Abraham is both, is both. 
Abraham took things into his own hands. God was silent. And now God is about to reveal himself in a whole new way. God reminds Abraham in this passage, and he's speaking to you and me today in it. So let's go on the adventure in Genesis chapter 17. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us. And I pray that you'll speak through me to these people that you love. I thank you that they're joining here via this uh, amazing conduit so that their lives can be built to live all for you, King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Here's the first thing. God reminds Abraham that he is God. That's always a good reminder. I need to be reminded constantly that God is God and I'm not God. That's one of the greatest struggles I have. I think I can run my life when I can't run my life. I'm incompetent to run my life. And so are you. Listen to what he says in 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. And I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Now, God reveals to Abraham two things. He reveals a new name of himself. He calls himself El Shaddai, which means the all-powerful, all-sufficient God, El Shaddai. It literally means God of the mountains in Hebrew. But it's not a reference to a place of the mountains. The ancient people believed this. They believed various gods control various regions or places. The Canaanites had their god to control this region. The Hittites, the Perizzites, the others, they had these regions that they believed their gods controlled. When God is saying, I am the God of gods. I am the Lord God Almighty. None of these other gods exist. They're the fabrication of men. I am El Shaddai. I'm the God of the mountains. And there's nothing more majestic uh, than the mountains and the ocean. And that's what God says. I am the God. I'm El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. I am the God of creation. I'm the one who flung the mountains into place. And then God was about to reveal to Abraham a whole new way of knowing God. He was telling Abraham that he would be, get this, he said, live in my presence. It's a whole new way. Before you look at the patriarchs, and they had walked with God. And God's saying to Abraham, I not only want you to walk with me, I want you to live in the ever-present knowledge of knowing I am here with you. Live in my presence. Now, several years ago, I tried that as a spiritual discipline. To say, okay, I'm going to be totally aware all, every day, every second, every day of my life, that the Lord, I'm living in the Lord's presence. Man, that was hard. Finally, I gave up on it. I just felt, you know, God, you're sovereign. I'm just going to have to trust that I'm doing this. But trying to concentrate and focus living in the presence of God. And I go back to that from time to time because it's good discipline for me. But the thing is that I, that's where I live. That's where you live. If you have the Holy Spirit abiding in your heart, Jesus is with you. You can't say, Jesus, wait in the car. I'm going in to do this. He's with you living in his presence. And God was revealing that to Abraham. He wasn't just walking with God, but he was dwelling with God. 13 years of God's silence that God shows up and he was revealing to Abraham a big change and a big revelation, but he was reminding him as he was instructing. They says, be blameless. Let's not be sinless. There's a difference between being blameless and, and being sinless. Um, Blameless comes from God's giving you his righteousness. Sinless comes, well, you can't do it. You're sinful. So he says, be blameless. Not perfection, 
but living in the spotless blamelessness of God, that God is not blameless. What God was asking Abraham to do and what he's asking us to do is live with a single purpose. I wear this bracelet, it says, all for Jesus, that reminds me that my life has a single purpose. Now, I need to wear this, and I've worn it for many years now. And I I have these available. If you want one, I will send you one. That It reminds me that I'm living in God's presence. The key to a single-purpose living is a personal relationship that is expressed in a personal worship. Your life is inspired in a larger gatherings as we come together, like on this 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 cast right now, but it's transformed by your personal time with God. That's why you need to read scripture and pray or journal or go to the desert, be solitude, fast, give up things to focus on Jesus. That's when you really experience God. We can be inspired by watching and consuming content or gathering with folks in in a big room, but we really find the knowledge of the Holy One by spending time personally with him. It all works together. But man, that time with just you and Jesus is so vitally important. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God renews his relationship with Abraham and and he, with some he changes names. Listen to this. Abraham fell face down and God, uh, and God spoke to him saying, As for me, here's my covenant with you. You'll become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I'll make you the father of many nations. I'll make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that's between you and me and your future offsprings throughout their generations. Now look at me a second. Listen to this. Okay, God's already passed through the carcasses 13 years ago and made the, the proclamation. He'd already done that. And so now he's reminding him again. It's a permanent covenant to be uh, for the for to be your God and for your offsprings after you. And you and your future offsprings, I will give the land that you're residing, the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and you and I will be their God. <clears throat> God said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring, and after you throughout the generations are to keep my covenant. And God said to Abraham, this is later in 17, as for your wife Sarah, do not call her Sarah, for Sarah will be her name, and I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she will produce nations, and kings of peoples will come after her. So God reminds him of his covenant. He restates his covenant with the absolute statements, I will, I will, I will. Then God gives the absolute, it's good as done. I will go and prepare a place for you. That when I, I will come and I will receive you to myself that where you, I am, you will be also, Jesus said in John 14. The I will promises. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will save you. Uh, he will hold you. I will hold you in perfect peace whose hearts are fixed on me. Be anxious for nothing in prayer and petition. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will inhabit your heart and mind as you trust in him. All these I will promises of God. These are God's promises to us. Abram became Abraham from an exalted father called Abram to the father of a multitude called Abraham. Even though his wife could not have children, God was making an outrageous promise because nothing is too hard for God. Sarah, 
burned by his exploits with Hagar, burned by the exploits in Egypt, barren and shame, fill of shame, because in the ancient land, if a woman couldn't produce a child, she wasn't worth much. Here she was, a burned, burdened, shamed woman. God comes to her rescue as well. Wow. God said, look up at the stars. You can't count them. You won't be able to count your kids. And God kept his promises. Name changes are nothing new to God. God changes names. He changed his names of many people throughout, throughout Scripture. Simon became Peter. Uh, Saul became Paul. In fact, this is interesting. Some theologians teach that Paul's full name was Saul Paulus. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his, his Roman name. And his full name was Saul Paulus. But anyway, you see him changed when God assigns him to be the, the, uh, the preacher to the Gentiles. He gives him a Gentile name, a Paul. You even get a new name. What? Yeah, you get a new name. Listen to this in Revelation. Let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I also give him a white stone, and on that new white on, uh, on that stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. There's an old gospel song. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, Lord. Yes, it's mine. And the white washed stones reveal the glory. Huh? You even have a new name with God when you come to Christ. I don't know what my name is. Maybe Hunk Hunk of Burning Love. Probably not. What is my new name written down in glory? Sarai becomes Sarah. Sarai means contentious or the one who mocks. Sarah means princess. Huh. God's saying, hey, you were abused. You were burned. You were treated wrong. But you're a princess. It's pretty big. Abraham, you treat her like a princess because that's what she is. Had he treated her like a princess? No. Sold her to Pharaoh. Did the stupid thing with Hagar. What? Uh-uh. Sarah needed the Lord. God was moving in the life of this woman who had been marginalized, trafficked, and disrespected, and he was making her new. This is a big deal. To be a childless woman in the Old Testament was to be viewed as being smitten by God. And God comes through for Sarah at 90 years old. This was overwhelming both to Abraham and Sarah. How could God do such a thing? Because he's God. Abraham fell face down and then he laughed and he said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? He was laughing with joy. Later, Sarah is going to laugh and mocking that God comes through. You see the compassion of Abraham when he asks about Ishmael. And, and you also see God's love as well. Listen to what Abraham said. So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. And then God says, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, and I will certainly bless him, and I'll make him fruitful and multiply him greatly, and he will father 12 tribal leaders, and I'll make him into a great nation. God's faithfulness even extended to this child that was born in perversion. Wow. Here's the last thing I want you to see. God gives Abraham a permanent covenant. 
a permanent reminder of his covenant. I will make you extremely fruitful, and you will make a nations and kings come for you. I'll confirm my covenant that is between you and me and your future offspring throughout generations. It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you're residing, the land of Canaan, as a per permanent possession. And I will be their God. And God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between you, between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of covenant between you and me. Okay, we're going to talk about this. God knows we need a symbol of reminding. So what he did for them was give them a symbol in their flesh. What God does for us is give us a symbol of baptism, the washing, the washing. For them, it was a symbol that was, it was all about reproduction. I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. I'm going to make your nation outnumber the your offspring. And so he gives this symbol of circumcision as a sign of reproduction. This is obvious. This sign was to be the forerunner of Christ bringing people to himself through the cross, making them children of God. This symbol is no longer necessary because God has fulfilled his covenant. God has fulfilled his covenant. But for Abraham, he was not just a physical father, but a spiritual father. And to the Hebrew people and to the Arabic people, the, the spiritual children born through Jesus, he is the covenant keeper of God. Abraham becomes the father, not only physically, but spiritually of all of us. Because he kept the covenant promise. Because God reminded him. Abraham was 99 years old. And God said, I'm giving you a physical sign of circumcision. And it's all about reproduction. Wow. Now, I've heard some people teach that what God gave him the sign for is that they would remain uh, sexually pure and not have relationships with the Canaanites. That the men would look down and go, yeah, I belong to God. It wasn't necessarily true. This symbol of circumcision was all about God extending his covenant through reproduction. And God does that. Having children matters to God. Matters to God. And he wants you to be born again. Now, some of you listening to this are struggling with infertility, okay? God sees you. God knows. God's working. The promise of God may be through adoption. I, I don't know. It may be through a miraculous conception. I don't know, but I want to tell you something. You could trust him. And you're not marginalized or smitten by God or second class. And doubt and discouragement that bangs on your head is not true. That's garbage from Satan. Put on the helmet of salvation knowing that God is going to keep his promises to you. If you say, God, I feel like God, you promised that I would be a parent, then you're going to be a parent. Trust him. And let us walk with you in that valley of uncertainty to build you up. Listen to this. And you were also circumcising him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh. In the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him in faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were, one, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive and forgave you and forgave all of your trespasses. Our symbol today is not circumcision. Our symbol today is two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
They serve to remind us of God's covenant through Jesus Christ that he's made to us. We must be born again, and we must live life anew in the covenant. Abraham would look at the stars every night and remember the covenant. He would look at the sand and remember the covenant. He would look at his wife and remember the covenant. He would look at his body and remember the covenant. And God was always reminding him and inviting him to live in his presence. And he does the same for you and for me. He loves you. He loves me. And he will save me. And he will save you. And he has saved me. And I hope he saved you. And he will make you new. And he'll give you a new name with a new identity. For any person who's in Christ, he's a, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So people need to be reminded more than instructed. So I'm reminding you today, God is the promise keeper. Father, thank you for what you said to us in your word today. And I pray that we'll make decisions, listening decisions, to be reminded of your great faithfulness. Our Father, to yield ourselves to your great faithfulness and salvation. That we will literally pray to you right now and say, Jesus, I'm yours all for you. I'm going to live for you. And I pray, Father, as this broadcast goes out, that we will live in your amazing promises and be reminded of them. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, take your next step. Is it baptism? Is it going through the next step classes? Is it being come a part of the family? Take that next step. Is it finding a group of people that live around you and start a group, a cluster in your home? Take the next step. And do what God wants you to do. Is it to care for somebody close to you that needs the love of Jesus? Take the next step. But be reminded that you live in God's presence. And let God do a great thing in and for and through you in these days ahead. And again, I want to thank you for your generosity. What you're doing here as you give is literally sending the gospel all over the world. All for King James. Oh, King Jesus. I almost said King James, but that's a Bible. Anyway, all for King Jesus. I love you guys. Thanks for joining today, and I'll see you again next week.